Welcome to New Life Bible Church, and thank you for joining us. Every week, listen to practical teaching of God's Word you can apply to your life as you live out your faith every day. Our vision at New Life is that you may know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Here's this week's message from New Life Bible Church. is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. I will never be the same. Never, never, never I will never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. Excuse me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So um, every year I have some Christmas messages that I've done in the past, and usually I'll pray about what I'm going to minister on. Next week is our actual Christmas service. Uh, we're going to have a couple of things happening there. We have baby dedication. So those of you who signed up uh, for that and we weren't able to do it uh, uh, because of something, <laughs> I, I want to just go ahead and, and uh, let you know that uh, we called those people and there is one or two of you that are going to be able to make that one. If you have a child in here that's never been dedicated and uh, you would like to do that in our Christmas service, you can you still time so you can go back there to the Connection Center and sign up for that. Uh, so we're going to have baby dedication. We're going to have some Christmas songs, I believe, correct? And then we're going to have the tale of the three trees. So if you were here last year, you know what that's about. But uh, bring the kids. Bring it's you know I'm not really ministering a word, but that 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 folk tale is just very powerful, and uh, we do this every year. But uh, usually I have a Christmas message right before the the Sunday before Christmas, and. Uh, Every year when I go to prepare for it, I get people calling and asking, and you know, I, I pass by them and they say, you're going to preach that message again this year? You're gonna... And I'm like, can I, can I do a new one? <laughs> but everyone asks for this. So by popular demand, I'm going to go ahead and minister the perfect birth into the imperfect world. So if you've heard this before and you were here last year, uh, I have re-studied it and, and, uh, and done some uh, 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 you know, studies and things in research and some of the things. So I've added some things and removed some things. So it's going to be a little bit different today, uh, but it'll still have the same powerful message. You know, Christmas is one of those times that we celebrate something, right? And then, you know, uh, 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 nothing can replace Jesus like the video says. And uh, But we... We just kind of, oh yeah, the, the, the immaculate version, you know, the immaculate conception and the virgin gave birth to this baby. And, you know, when you hear something over and over again and you've heard it your whole life, especially if you were like Catholic and you were raised in the Catholic church or, or something like that, you heard these words and these sayings of this virgin birth. And we go, and then it just becomes tradition. It just becomes something natural when it was very supernatural what happened that day. So we want to bring back the power of the birth of Jesus today, and we want to understand in detail. So it may be a little bit, uh, there may be some parts that are PG-13 today, so, uh, which is not my fault. You'll have some explanation to do to your kids on the way home. Uh, uh, that'll be up to you, but um, uh, if they catch anything that I say. So Matthew uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew 1 verses 18 through 25. Now, the birth of Jesus was as follows. 
That's right, just like that. He was born and started crying, just like that. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Ah, after his mother Mary was betrothed or engaged to Joseph, just engaged, engaged, before they came together or had conjugal cohabitation, that's the, the, the translation for coming together. Uh, I just say hamada hamada. But she was, found, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. All right, ladies, relax. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. If he didn't do that, they would have stoned her to death. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for, this, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Wow, that's a powerful statement right there. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took or accepted to him his wife and did not know, everybody say no, did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Now I know there's a little uh, thought there that you're looking saying, well, they called him Emmanuel, or did they call him Jesus? Well, babies in those times were born and a lot of times they would spend a year, two, sometimes three years before they would even name the baby or name the child because they wanted to see a characteristic in the child and give them a name that corresponded with that co characteristic. There were very few that were given names right at birth unless an angel showed up and told them, name him John. John the Baptist, remember, or name him. So when they said, we shall name him Emmanuel, that was for his birth. But once he was born, his whole uh, reason for being on earth was to, to give his life. So they said Jesus, which is Savior or salvation, right? So they named him after what he was going to become, even though they said he is Emmanuel, God with us. Kind of like a nickname, I guess you could say. But here, when it says the, the word virgin, it, see, it means a marriageable maiden, a woman who has never had sexual intercourse with a man. And then the word no, in, in the same uh, verse, in, in verse 25, I mean, it says no, it's a Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse between a man and a woman. An idiom is just a, a peculiar to a certain language or culture. Remember when Michael Jackson brought the word bad and we said bad for what was good? Right? That's, that's considered an idiom. Well, bad is supposed to be bad. Or now, you know, we started using the word sick. That's sick. I went to, to preach one time uh, when we had just moved to Daytona Beach. They invited me to a, a youth conference. Uh, I, Erica went with me down in, in uh, uh, just south of here. I forgot where we went. But just south of here near Vero Beach. And uh, I was ministering, and when I was done ministering, one of the kids came up to me and said, that was sick. And then I was like, is that good or bad? Did I, did I do a good job or did I not do it? Should I leave now? You know, and he goes, no, it means good. It means good. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So that's what, that's what the word no means. It's an idiom used by the, by the Jewish people to mean, uh, you know, hamana hamana. So um, let's look at the supernatural occurrence in a natural body. Because she was a natural human being. She came from a mother and a father. 
See, all of us in this room should know where babies come from, I would hope. If not, you're going to be asking questions on the way home. So we, we know the natural act that needs to happen. Now we need to, and it is very natural, but it, we need to see the supernatural of what happened this day because we have turned this virgin birth of Jesus into something natural and just something normal, and it is not normal, and it is not natural. It's actually supernatural. You know, God uses the natural things of the earth to show us the supernatural things of heaven. Jesus used parables. Parable means a heavenly story or an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's all parable means. So he used parables and he used earthly things, you know, uh, seed time and harvest. You know, he used many parables about the seed time and about harvest time and planting the seed. And, you know, all that is very, very spiritual and very supernatural, very heavenly. But he uses the natural things to help us understand the supernatural things. So the first man, first man, everybody say first man. The first man, Adam, was created in the image of God. He was made, Adam uh, uh, means two things in the Old Testament. It means first man, and it also means red clay, to be made of red clay. So the Adam was created in the image of God. We men are also, we also carry the seed, which when planted will create a child. Do I, we all understand how that works, right? Okay. If, if not, there's plenty of nurses in the house. You can ask them how that works. So in order for the birth of Jesus Christ to be perfect, it must be without sin. God needed a pure womb, virgin, and a pure seed to plant in that womb in order to create a pure son of God, a pure Jesus. So we'll cover womb in just a moment. But in the natural, the seed that man carries also carries the blood that the child will have. None of the mother's blood ever crosses over to the child. So if a man would have planted his seed and created a child, that man came from the first Adam, which brings in our sinful life. So that sinful nature came through the blood of the first Adam. We couldn't have that because Jesus couldn't be born of that. <coughs> Excuse me. It's just a tickle in my throat, so relax. <laughs> you can't do, can't sneeze or cough or do anything nowadays. It's everybody going. If you want to get in line, at the, you know, and to buy something, just start coughing. Everybody gets out of the line. <clears throat> the Nurse's Handbook of Obstetrics by Louis Zabriskie. He's an RN. This is the fifth edition, page 75. So I didn't want to just say something and you go, oh, wow, that's cool. Look at what our medical books, <clears throat> what our medical books say about this. This is page 75 in the Nurse's Handbook of Obstetrics. When the circulation of the blood begins in the embryo, it remains separate and distinct from that of the mother. All food and waste material which are interchanged between the embryo and the mother must pass through the blood vessel walls from one circulation to the other. Now I'm going to jump to the same book, page 82. The fetus receives its nourishment and oxygen from the mother's blood into its own through the medium of the placenta. The fetal heart pumps blood through the arteries of the umbilical cord into the placenta vessels, which looping in and out of the uterine tissue and lying in close contact with the uterine vessels permit a diffusion 
through their walls of waste products from the child to the mother and of nourishment of oxygen from the mother to the child. As has been said, this interchange is affected by the process of osmosis. That's a miracle in itself. And there is no direct mingling of the two blood currents. In other words, no maternal blood actually flows to the fetus, nor is there any direct fetal blood flow to the mother. There is no maternal blood test. There's a paternal blood test that you can say that child came from this father. But there is no maternal blood test. You can't because the blood won't match. Other than the the only test that you have is the fact that they carry the baby, (laughs) right? In order for the birth of Jesus to be perfect and without sin, it could not be in the same bloodline as Adam. Where sin originates. Look at this quote. I love this. I'm going to tell you who this man is. He's Dr. Martin DeHaan. He was born in 1891, died 1965. He was an American Bible teacher, the founder of, some of you will recognize this, the founder of the Radio Bible Class and co-editor of a monthly devotional guide called Our Daily Bread. All right? He's still, we're still being published today, isn't it? It was a source of satisfaction to Dr. DeHaan that as a doctor, he had delivered all four of his children, and then as a clergyman, because he was also a pastor, had married all four of them. Isn't that cool? This is his quote. How wonderfully God prepared for the virgin birth of his son. When he created woman, he made her so that no blood would be able to pass from her to her offspring. That blood is the result of the male. Since Adam was the federal head of the race, it is his blood which transmits Adam's sin. In order to produce a sinless man and yet be the son of Adam, God must provide a way whereby that man would have a human body derived from Adam but have not a drop of Adam's sinful blood. Right here is the scientific biological reason for the sinlessness of the man Christ Jesus. Some have tried to answer the question, how could he be sinless and yet be born of a woman? By making Mary the Immaculate Virgin, that, however, does not answer the question of how Jesus was sinless since it's through the male that the bloodline runs. Now, I I haven't physically said it yet, But the blood of Jesus was the blood of his father. We'll talk about powerful. You know, we don't preach on the blood. You know, a lot of people are saying we don't preach on the blood anymore because it's kind of gory. It's kind of, you know, so we took it. You took the power out of church. You can't. How could you preach Jesus and not preach the blood? Jesus was a a, a flesh, right? He was a man just like we are, 100% man and 100% God. He was flesh. But yet the blood that ran through his vein was not his own. It was his father's blood. That blood that was shed and dripped on the ground, uh, you know, in Calvary, that blood that came out of him redeemed the whole world of all the sin before him and all the sin after him. It had to be some pretty special blood, don't you think? Hmm. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 says, So it is written. 
The first man, Adam, became a living being. That's what we became after him because we were in his lineage. We became living beings after the first man. And Adam means first man. So basically right here it would say the first man, first man, became a living being. The last. Everybody say last. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So the last what? The last first man. There would not be another one after him. The last first man. So the Adam, somebody's getting this, I can tell. The Adam that God made from the earth was the first living being. And the Adam, the last first man, became a life-giving spirit. See, the last Adam was the first man of a new creation. The last Adam was the first man of a new creation. That's why they're able to call him the last Adam again. Because it's a, it has to, there has to be a brand new creation. You couldn't continue in the old creation that came from the first Adam and then called him exactly. the last Adam. You couldn't do that. There had to have been, because Adam means first man of new, right? The last first man, because we were born again. And if I was born again, and the seed of Jesus Christ caused me to be born again, then the blood that runs through my veins is no longer the first Adam, but the last Adam. I am made brand new. We, we sang it. His blood runs through my veins. It, it literally does because we've been born again under the new Adam, the last one. There had to, there's not going to be any more first men. <laughs> he was the last first man because of the new creation. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 in the Amplified Version. Therefore, since these, his children, share in flesh and blood the physical nature of mankind, he himself in a similar manner also shared in the same physical nature but without sin, flesh, not blood, so that through experiencing death, he might make powerless, ineffective, or impotent him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. <laughs> death kills death. That's what happened that day. When he shed his blood and that first drop hit the ground, the whole earth shook. Darkness filled the earth. Thunder and lightning was... Why? Because that first, it was so powerful that one little drop, forget the atom bomb, one little drop of his blood hitting the ground caused the entire earth to shake. That's how powerful this blood is. And because he died with that blood, we get to live. Because he died with that blood, the devil has no power over us. I have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, right? I am a child of the almighty God. Christmas is a little different, isn't it? The womb. Let's talk about the womb. I love this. From man, God created woman or man with a womb. That's what woman means. I always say, you know, Adam woke up and saw the lady and said, whoa, man. And that's how she got her name. But uh, he looked at her and, you know, it's just a woman means man with a womb. So womb translates as the belly or the stomach or the innermost part of man. 
as in the mercy seat. It is, the womb is the holy of holies. Creation happens in the womb. He put that in woman. Creation happens in the womb. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle was where the presence of God was kept, and it was a process to enter that place, that place where Aaron's rod budded and where we see what we call the mercy seat or uh, 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 the translated as the womb. So the tabernacle, real quick, uh, has the outer courts, the inner co- courts, and then the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God was and where I said Aaron's, Aaron's rod. Aaron carried this stick for years and years and years, and they threw that, that dead stick into the presence, and it actually budded. It was an almond rod, and it actually budded and created almonds. Can you imagine that? It budded flowers and everything in the presence of God. It was a dead stick. Man. So the outer court is where they keep a lathe, and there's water there. I was talking to my father this week, and he said that there was also a mirror there that you got to see yourself in so that you can clean yourself and and make yourself pure. So it's the outer court, and it's kind of where we get the word courting from. You guys ever heard that word? It's a very religious word for dating, uh, you know, when you're courting. So while you're courting, you guys who are courting are going to... I'm not looking at anybody in particular or anything, but uh, why, <laughs> while you're courting, you're in, you start in the outside where everybody sees you. So you're kind of dating and, you know, you're part of a church or you're part of a community and they, they kind of see what's happening. And then you commit yourself to that person, like you get engaged or whatever that is, and then you move into what's the inner court where the priests are. And that's where the priest oversees the next process of going into the Holy of Holies. Okay, so the priests oversee that they do premarital counseling. They, you know, the priests are in charge of that part. And then once they put a ring on their finger and they get married and they do it right before God and before, uh, you know, uh, uh, on paper and everything, then they can go into the mercy seat. See, the Holy of Holies where the mercy seat is. Then you can enter there. (laughs) There's kids in the room, so I'm going to be careful. (laughs) to enter into that mercy seat into the womb or into the holy of holies whichever one you want to think of there is a veil and to cross over from that veil you has to be a sprinkling of blood you seeing what i'm seeing The mercy seat of the womb must be entered through the veil, through the sprinkling of blood. See, the virgin womb, or the mercy seat, is protected by a veil that we call hymen. And when that hymen is broken, there's a sprinkling of blood. Then conception happens and creation buds. This is a natural occurrence between a husband and a wife. But during this natural act happens something very supernatural. (laughs) See, Joseph had not yet known, remember the idiom, had not yet known Mary, yet she was pregnant. Think about that for just a moment. A virgin with a baby. Never happened before and has not ever happened since. 
Since this was a supernatural occurrence and did not follow the natural rules of conception, then the hymen or the veil that should have been torn at conception was still intact. You know what happens next, right? When Jesus was born, the veil was torn just like when his death happened. Jesus was born by a sprinkling of blood and he died by a sprinkling of blood. See, the only way in is through that sprinkling of blood. So he's the only one, the only baby ever born that broke the hymen from the inside. Ever. It's never happened before. This was the perfect birth. The only one ever like it. Everything leading up to his birth was perfect. But what happened to Jesus when he became flesh? We always remember the sacrifice at the cross, but we don't realize that the sacrifice began at his birth. See, when do you start dying? When you're born. Oh, that's so, that's so dark. <laughs> that's like, but it's true. There's a time limit there, isn't there? We're not going to live on the earth forever. We're going to live for eternity in his presence, but we're not going to live here forever. There's a time frame. So your death begins at your birth. What did this God, 100% God, 100% man, give up? See, God put on skin and lived with the same weaknesses and natural occurrences of what it is to live in a body. We couldn't even begin to understand what kind of sacrifice that was. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and then I'm going to read 14. It says, In the beginning was the Word, very familiar scripture, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and he beheld, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We missed that. The word became flesh, and we just run right through that. See, Jesus, God, became flesh. And I can't even begin to, to give you a glimpse, but let's try to maybe get a little small understanding of what actually happened. So try to, uh, uh, this is very, very risky what I'm about to do here, but try to imagine yourself in your birthday suit, right? And you put on a, a suit from your neck out to your, to your wrist all the way down all the way down to your ankles, made of sackcloth. You know what sackcloth is? It's like what you put potatoes in. It's very itchy. and You got nothing else on but this sackcloth. Imagine how uncomfortable that would be. Right? Here's a divine being, God, putting on flesh. Flesh. What did this guy give up? What did, this, what did our God give up to give us our salvation? See, flesh is the word sarks. It says the body as opposed to the soul or the spirit or as the symbol of what is eternal, external, or as the means of kindred, or by implication, human nature, with its frailties, physically or morally. And its passions, or especially a human being, as such, carnal or carnally minded, or flesh or fleshly minded. See, Jesus was tempted in every way. The only way that someone could be tempted 
is to have flesh. Because you're tempted through your eyes, you're tempted through what you hear, you're tempted through, right? You're tempted through your senses. And the only way to have senses is to have a body. So Jesus was tempted in every way. Think about that for a moment. Try not to, to imagine this in too much detail. But he was sitting there and a prostitute came and washed his feet with her tears and dried it with her hair. You don't think he was tempted? He was a man. Yet he never, not once, failed. Never, not once, sinned. Never, not once, let his carnal uh, flesh take over. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of, equal, of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, this is what he did, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross and did not deserve one bit of it. Yet he did it anyway. When Jesus was born, he gave up his divine privileges. Not just for the time he was on earth. Because think about it. He, he came down in flesh. And then he goes back to being who he used to be. Well, okay. He was here for, you know, 33 plus years. And okay, he goes for 33 plus years and eternity going back. He doesn't go back the same way he came down. It says that when he uh, was resurrected, he was resurrected into a glorified body. You want to know what that's like? We will know. Because we also will get one just like that. To live in eternity. But he gets a glorified body. It says that he still bears the scars of the nails on his hands. He still bears the scars of him being whipped on his back. He still, he'll bear them for eternity. When we get there and you see Jesus, he will have the scars to prove what he did for us. He still has those. He gave up everything. 100% God, but also 100% man. To put on skin. Wow. Now, we know how this perfect birth happened, and we know the sacrifice that he made, but where did it happen? Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, it says, It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census took, first took place while Quirinus was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone in his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Have you ever seen a live nativity? Not, not the ones that we put up, but live. 
Like there's a real little baby there, right? Sometimes they even have like a camel or a donkey. I was at a Baptist church once and they were doing a, a, a Christmas thing and they actually brought the animals down the aisles, you know, real animals. And I'm thinking that thing's going to, you know, take care of something right here in the, in the carpet. You know, that's how I kept thinking, you know, as a pastor, you look at those things, you're like, oh man, they're taking a risk here. But they brought those real animals into the church. And you could smell them. No matter how clean that you could smell them. (laughs) What part of this scene is imperfect? Jesus, the perfect son of God, conceived in a way that only God could do. Born in a stable full of animals from the people, full of animals from the people that were in the inn. And they brought these animals to be sacrificed for their sin. It was a yearly thing. They traveled there every year with the animal that they were going to sacrifice for whatever sin that they had committed that year. So they had to continuously do this. So they showed up and all these animals are in the stable. After a long, long journey. See, although the conception of the perfect son of God was perfect, He came into an imperfect world. He was born into an imperfect situation that stunk. Literally stunk. See, Christmas is not about God coming into perfect places or perfect families or perfect situations, but it's about Jesus coming into imperfect places, imperfect families, and imperfect situations. See, an imperfect situation is the timing of Christmas. It could be December 25th, it could be July 1st, it could be whatever. It doesn't matter what day of the year it is. It's always going to be a bad timing. Think about that. How many of you are tired of hearing, are you ready for Christmas? Have you done all your shopping? I don't know about you, but our Amazon guy is tired of us. We live on a hill. He's got to go up. And it's an incline. He's up the hill to, you know, to bring our packages every day, sometimes two or three times a day. I'm telling you, God created Amazon. It's just the greatest, the greatest thing ever. You go right on there. You find what they want. You order it. And if you have Prime, you don't have to pay for the, for the delivery. It comes right to your door. It comes in a box. You just wrap the box. You don't even have to open it. Just wrap the box. It's great. The God sent. See, December 25th did not sneak up on you. You knew it was coming. You still don't like to be asked, are you ready for Christmas? See, does it really matter what day of the year we celebrate Christmas? Some of us, it doesn't matter the day. Our life is imperfect. Our relationships are imperfect. Our financial situation is imperfect. Our body, our sickness, our mind, imperfect. But God created a perfect baby Jesus. Perfect in every way so that he could come into our imperfect situations. Listen, we do this because we want children to have toys. 
right? We don't want them to wake up on Christmas morning and not have toys. So we help as many people, as many families as we possibly can. And, you know, whenever I ask, I, you know, I'll, I'll ask Ruby, how many toys do we have? Can we give out three? Can we give out four per kid? I'm like, can we give out 10? I'd rather give out, you know, have a smaller group and give them 10 toys each. You know, that would be awesome. I always, you know, that one toy uh, each is, just doesn't do it for me. I want to be able to, to bless these families and be able to do that. But that's great. They get a toy. But greater than that is the fact that they get to come into a church and see that God gave his life so that they could get a little toy because he is concerned for their imperfect situation. That's why he sent his perfect son. So whatever it is that you're going through this year, whether you've lost a loved one and this is your first Christmas without them or or you have someone out there that's just, you know, running the streets and not living right, or, or, you know, you're dealing with a sickness, or you got a bad report, or whatever it is, know that God sent his perfect son. And that blood, that blood that is shed for us, it's not just for our salvation, but it is also for every need that we could have. It is, there is power. There's literally power in the blood of Jesus and that power runs through our veins. While growing up there were three seasons or times that help us identify Christmas, even though I said Christmas could fall on any time. So the, the first season is we believe in Santa. The second season is we are Santa. And the last season is we look like Santa. <laughs> So if you look around, you can guess which one everybody's in. <laughs> this, I figured there'd be a good time for a little joke there. This Christmas, allow the perfect God to come into it, your imperfect families. See, some of us will be celebrating Christmas missing that loved one I spoke about. They may not be able to have all these gifts in some kind of extravagant meal. And that's all fine and dandy, but don't let that bring you down because the perfect gift that God gave us that we need to focus on in Christmas is his son, Jesus. Some may be homeless in a shelter or on the streets. Some may be having their first Christmas after a divorce. Some may have their loved ones in, uh, in the Air Force or in, in, you know, in the military and, and be missing them for Christmas. We could go on and on about the imperfect situations that we may have this Christmas, but the first Christmas was also a difficult day. A pregnant Mary traveling 70 miles on a donkey. After an exhausting trip, they had nowhere to stay. They were homeless. Their choice was a stable full of smelly animals. This was the absolute worst timing for Jesus to be born. It was beyond their control so when someone asks you are you ready for christmas it has nothing to do with december 25th it has to do with what you're currently experiencing in your life because these holidays that's what they do they grudge up these things and that's good because now we could present them to god 
In the same manner that you cannot avoid December 25th, we celebrate the birth of our Savior. We cannot avoid the fact that Jesus comes into our imperfect lives and brings hope, health, and happiness. The toys don't do it. The meal doesn't do it. The day off doesn't do it. Right? It's Jesus that brings hope, health, and happiness. I've known many Christmases where we were full of toys and had, we ate lobster and steak and we had this and we had that and we had the other and we were missing Jesus. And I would have, knowing what I know now, would have given all that up to have Jesus as my gift. Don't be like the innkeeper and put Jesus out in the stable, but let him into your home, into your lives, and into your imperfect situations. I'm going to read a few scriptures. We're going to come to an end. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? It is, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Hmm, that's my hope and joy. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be perfect. Uh, preserved, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Jesus came to save imperfect people. His birth was perfect. His life was sinless. Yet he came into the world to save an imperfect people that are full of sin. I'm going to end with this scripture. Listen very carefully. I love this scripture in in, uh, the Message Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 in the Message Bible. It wasn't so long ago that you and me were mired in the old, stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief, and then you exhaled disobedience. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief, and then you exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heavens in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in the world and and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. And all we do is trust him enough to let him do it. See, it's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we have done the whole thing. Let's stand to our feet this morning. You know, after hearing all that, you, wow, look at what God did. But see, the whole process, the whole beginning of sending his son to come into flesh and die on a cross and be born in a stable, all everything that he did, the whole thing was with you in mind, was with us in mind. 
not, not just as a group, individually. He was thinking. He was thinking about Martin. He was thinking about Herbie. He was thinking about Paula. He was thinking about Nick, about Rick, right? About Mike. He was thinking about us. Individually, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for Tyler. I'm going to do this for this. I'm going to do, even though they may turn their back on me, even though they may not follow me, even though they may never confess Jesus, I'm going to do it for them because I love them. And I'm not just going to do something regular. I'm going to do something extraordinary. I'm going to do something pretty, I'm going to do something that nobody can come along and say, this did not really happen because it did. See, that perfect birth happened and it was a miracle. It was a miracle. When he created Adam in Genesis, he took dirt from the ground and created a man, flesh and bone. You know, doctors and scientists still to today are trying to figure out how eyes work because there's millions and millions of little things that run behind you. And they're trying to figure, imagine how your body works, your flesh, all your cells, all your organs. He took a pile of dirt and breathed into it and created what we are today. And science is still, till today, finding things that they've never seen before. Trying to figure out how man, it's incredible how he created that man. But then that man sinned and we ended up in his lineage. And listen, we we can't blame him or even blame Eve because somebody would have eaten. I ate. Don't leave me by myself. I ate. Right? We all did. So he said, you know what? We can't fix this. We're going to recreate it. I can't fix this. We're going to recreate it. So because we had the first Adam, we have to have the last one. And in that last Adam, we are saved through a pure blood. And no longer in the lineage of a sinful flesh, but in the lineage of a perfect, perfect God and a perfect man. Right? So how does that happen? How do, how do we do that? How does, well, we accept what he did for us, and we ask Jesus to come into our lives. So if you're here this morning, you say, you know, I've never done that. I've never been born again. I don't think I have a relationship with God. If that's you, just raise your hand. We want to pray with you. And that will change immediately. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Father. We glorify you, Lord. We just thank you. Come on, you, we, should, we should be, forget about all your gifts. Forget about your meal. Forget about all that. We, we are just so grateful for our Savior. We're so grateful that we celebrate the birth of our Savior. For everything he gave up and everything he did and how supernatural that moment was, Lord. Only, only, only to die. The death of a cross. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord. For the power of the blood that lives inside of us. We love you. We praise you. We live differently. Our motto is that we would never be the same. Because of the words we've heard this morning. We will never be the same. Never, never, never. Amen? Amen. Amen. Have a great day.
Thanks for listening to the New Life Bible Church podcast. If you're ever in the Central Florida area, consider this a standing invitation for you to join us. We would love to meet you. Services are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If this message blessed you, imagine what it would be like in person. Keep up with everything going on at New Life on our website, orangecitychurch.com. New Life Bible Church, you will never be the same.